in prayer as we come to the word this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come illuminate your word, God. Bring light to us that we can understand, that we can follow you, that we can be changed by you. As we've already prayed, come and have your way this morning with us, Lord Jesus. You are welcome here. We want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been walking through, uh, over the last couple months, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous collection of teachings. If you remember very briefly the story, Jesus had been going from town to town uh, and just telling people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he would do some miracles, and they were amazed, and then he'd leave. And he'd go to the next place, and he'd do the same thing. And eventually, the people just had enough. They're like, okay, what is this kingdom? What is it you're talking? Like, we're in. Please tell us what this is. And so with a large crowd, Jesus has to go up on a mountainside so that they can see him and hear him. And he begins to teach them, to share with them what this kingdom he's been calling them to is all about. And so he starts by telling them, look, here's the kind of people that the king is looking for. And he goes through the Beatitudes, if you're familiar with those. The king is looking for meek, humble people, gracious, forgiving people, peacemakers, The king is trying to make through his kingdom this kind of people. And then he starts to go through and he goes, look, you guys have heard some things before that that you've misconstrued. You've heard that it was said, and he goes through this series of teachings, calling out some old teachings, going, but I tell you, it's something different. You've heard that it was said, don't murder, but Jesus said, but I tell you what? Does anybody remember? Don't hate, don't hold anger in your heart towards your brother. You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't look lustfully after a woman. Okay, so he was going, look, you've heard it said, don't do X, Y, and Z, but I'm telling you it's more about what's happening in your heart than what you're doing. And then he starts to go into the ways that they would worship him and all the laws that they had and how you give and when you do this and when you do that. And he was going, it's not just about, did you go to church? Did you give? Did you? But where was your heart as you were doing this? Jesus is continually drawing them back to the kingdom of God is about your heart. It's not a list of rules, do this, don't do this. He, he, there was things he told them, hey, don't do these things. These aren't good but it's about what's happening in your heart more so than just did you do the right thing or not. You remember this? Making sense? Okay. Because then Jesus comes in, in Matthew chapter 7, we're on our last chapter. For those of you that are counting, we have four left, okay? Matthew chapter 7 in verse 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How many of you guys have heard this passage before? Don't judge or, or you will be judged or some fashion of that. People throw this one around a lot and it's been used for years, sometimes in healthy ways, often not in healthy ways. As I started thinking about ways that, that this passage has been applied, sometimes by Christians, sometimes even by non-Christians who, who pull this one out. I started thinking, like in the 90s, when I was growing up, there was this saying that I think tied in with this, and it was this, only God can judge me. It was in 90s rap music. I mean, the 90s were weird. People were getting it tattooed across their stomachs, like only God can judge me. And what it meant was something like this, I can do whatever I want, and you shouldn't have any thoughts about it. Mind your own business, essentially. Remember, Jesus said, you can't judge me. Mind your own business, I can do whatever I want. It it, it was twisted and and misconstrued. And then later it became this kind of like, I hear people say all the time, look, who am I to judge? They're doing this, they're doing that, but hey, but who am I to judge? That's their life, that's their business. Because hey, didn't Jesus say don't judge, right? Who am I to say what's right or what's wrong? Nowadays, it's kind of morphed a little more into this idea that, hey, there's your truth and there's my truth. You're just living out your truth. I'm just living out my truth. Who am I to tell you what's true, and who are you to tell me what's true? It's kind of a common phrase used a lot today, your truth and my truth. And some would point back to Jesus' teaching, because Jesus said, none of us are allowed to judge. Don't judge or you will be judged. And so, hey, you live your truth and I'll live my truth. 
But listen, that's, that's misconstruing what Jesus has been teaching. Jesus isn't saying, don't make judgments. We all have to judge right and wrong, wise and unwise, good and bad, or sometimes even good and great. We all have to make judgments, and even judgments on right and wrong. Jesus has spent the two chapters previous to this telling them rights and wrongs. Remember he said, don't murder, don't hold anger in your heart. Don't commit adultery. Don't even look lustfully at a woman. There was no like, hey, if that's your truth, Jesus was going, these are hard lines for all of us. There's right and there's wrong. And we are called to be wise and discerning people who are able to judge the difference between right and wrong. So if you've ever heard this passage and, and somehow it was taught to you or twisted into like, hey, so, so don't, you can't even make judgments. You can't even call something good or bad because maybe that's just their truth. That is not what Jesus was talking about here. What Jesus was talking about wasn't, hey, don't make judgments. What he was saying is don't be judgmental. Don't be judgmental in your heart. There's a big difference between making a judgment, this is right and wrong, and judging someone else. Standing in judgment over them, being judgmental towards them. Listen, it's a hard difference to define, but I think in the, back to in the 1970s, there was a senator, I can't remember his name, uh, they were having these hearings on pornography and they were trying to figure the whole thing out. And they asked this one guy, they said, well, okay, can you define pornography? And he goes, it's really hard to define, but you know it when you see it. Judgmentalism, I, I have all kinds of words for this that Kim tells me aren't words. Living with a judgmentality, it's one of those things, you know it when you see it. It can be hard to define, it can be hard to tell for me to tell you, you're being judgmental, sometimes it's so blatantly obviously we can see it, but it can be sneaky. But there's a difference between making a judgment and standing in judgment, being judgmental. So let me ask you this question. What is really going on in our hearts when we're judgmental? When we're standing in judgment over someone else, what's actually going on inside of us? Yeah, Jesus said, hey, by the same measure that you use, it'll be measured against you. We're, we're literally measuring ourselves, comparing ourselves with that person, okay? What is it? Yeah, pride. Let me tell you, here's what happens in my heart. Every time I measure myself against you, I win. I will find a way. I'll win. Every time I measure myself against you, I come out on top. Otherwise, I just wouldn't measure myself against you. There's some people you just kind of go, hey, good for them, and you don't think about it anymore because they're going to win. Whenever I stand in judgment, whenever I'm judgmental towards someone, I'm comparing, and every time I do that, I find a way to win in my own heart. What else? What's happening in our heart? Greed. Okay. You guys either don't know or someone's already said it. Jealousy. Oftentimes, the reason I, I feel the need to compare with them is because I'm jealous of them. And so I'm like, man, I, but, I'm, but I'm still better though, right? But I'm, there is wickedness happening in our hearts when we stand in judgment over someone else. That word judge means to separate. Like when you think about it, we're called to, to judge between right and wrong, to be able to separate out this is good and this is bad. That, that's a healthy way to judge something, right? This is wise and this is unwise. But when it comes to judging a person, it's creating a separation. I am better. We, we, we judge people when we say things like, oh, did you, did you hear what they did? I would never do something like that. That's right. We're creating this separation. I'm above, they're below. And it's a wicked thing to do. Another way uh, that that word is translated is to cut off. When you think about it, when someone goes and stands before a judge and they're found guilty, they're judged, they're cut off. Sometimes they're cut off from their money. You have to pay this fine, you lose. Sometimes they're cut off from society, you go to jail. We do the same things in our hearts when we stand in judgment of someone else is we cut them off, we break relationship, we hold them at arm's length. And Jesus is calling us to something better. He's going, don't judge or you will be judged. For the same measure you use 
it will be used to measure you. Over in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on the same topic to a different crowd, and he says it like this, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He, he ties in judgment with condemnation and forgiveness. It's to condemn others, to withhold mercy and forgiveness from others, to keep them down, even if it's just in your own mind, and build yourself up. We will be judged, and this can be a hard truth for us to understand sometimes, by the same level of harshness and condemnation that we use to judge other people. I don't like that, because I want mercy. I want grace. But Jesus goes, look, with the same level of harshness and, and criticism and condemnation that you judge others, you will be judged by that same measure over in Matthew 12, Jesus teaching again, he says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. When we stand before the Lord and we say, please have mercy on me. Listen, it's not gonna be a fun time when he goes, did you show mercy to them? Did you condemn them? When you had the opportunity to judge them, what did you do? What did you extend to them? That's a harsh truth. But listen, the opposite is also true. We will also be judged by the same level of grace, mercy, and compassion that we extend to others. Jesus is calling us not to stand in judgment over other people. It's not our place. There is one judge, and who is it? God. And here's the thing. The Father knows the whole story. We look at that one action at that one instance and we go, how could you, how dare you? Well, let's be honest. If I grew up in the same environment that person grew up in, if I had the same struggles that person had, on and on we go, do I really think I wouldn't make the same decision? Like when I stop and I'm truly honest with myself, do I really think that I'm better than them? Maybe I just had a safer place to grow up and I was given better tools and I was, we don't give grace to people. We tend to choose judgment. The opposite of judgment is mercy. And here's the truth. The level of mercy that we're able to extend reveals the level to which we've been able to receive mercy. What I mean by that is this. You can't give what you don't have. So often, we don't extend mercy to people. We stand in judgment over them because we haven't received mercy. Now, that doesn't mean the Lord hasn't extended mercy to us. The Lord hasn't offered it. He's not pouring it out. Mercy is a really difficult thing to receive because by definition, I can't earn it. And we struggle with things that we can't earn because we know we're unworthy. And so we naturally just go into earning mode. I'll do better. I'll try harder. I'll... And when we're in that mode, we tend to look around and we go, they're not trying as hard as I am. They're not doing as good as I am. I can't believe they... It's because we are trying to earn mercy, an unearnable thing, and so we have nothing to give out. The problem for many of us isn't that like we have all this mercy to give, we're just being selfish with it. It's that we haven't really let it come in. We haven't truly received mercy from the Father, and so we have nothing to pour back out. The level of mercy we extend reveals the level of mercy we've been able to receive. So again, Jesus isn't saying, don't make judgments. Don't judge between right and wrong, good and bad, wise and unwise. He's saying, don't be judgmental. Don't stand in judgment of your brothers and sisters. We need to make judgments of right and wrong in our own lives. And listen, in the church, we have to be very clear on what is right and what is wrong, what we've been called to and what we haven't, what the word of God says and what it doesn't say. These are things that we're always striving to understand better and to be very clear on, to discern, to judge. This is truth and this isn't truth. We're called to make those kinds of judgments. We're called to be wise and discerning people. We're not called to be wisecracking judgmental people, which, let's be honest, is the name many Christians 
have given themselves. I won't even say the world has put on us. We've earned it far too often. We need to, as Jesus has modeled for us, walk the line of judging sin without judging the person. You guys have heard the old saying, hate the sin, love the sinner. That kind of, I think there's some, that's been misused in some different areas, but I think at the heart, it's true. It is one thing for me to see, I'm gonna use David Fox because he made eye contact, to see David stumbling in sin, maybe tempted, maybe just going full bore at it or whatever. It's one thing for me to go, David, what is wrong with you? How dare you? It's another thing for me to go, David, brother, this is killing you. I, I love you. And so I'm calling you out of this. Both are recognizing this is sin. This is wrong. Both is judging the action, but the posture of the heart leads to completely different scenarios. Remember the context of what Jesus has been teaching about. It's all about the heart as we do these things. Paul says this in Romans chapter 2. Therefore, any one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself. Since you, this quotes, the judge, do the same thing. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Here's what Paul is saying. Raise your hand if you've sinned. Raise your hand if you've even sinned this week. It wasn't like 30 years ago, but... Yeah, me too. Because all of us would be like, oh yeah, when I was a kid, but like, yeah, very recently, I have sinned. How dare I stand in judgment over you for sinning when I've done the same thing? Paul says, all I do is just heap condemnation on myself because we're all in the same boat. We're all fellow sinners in need of grace, every single one of us. Why in the world would I start yelling at you for being stuck in the same pit I'm stuck in? It doesn't make any sense. And Paul says there at the end, do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience? Because what do I love when the Lord extends to me? Kindness, restraint from his judgment on me. When he is patient to me, I love it and I am so grateful for it. But when we turn and judge others, we're spitting in his face. We don't offer the same thing to people who are in the same situation. Do we despise those things? Of course not. We love them when they're given to us. How dare we hold them back from others, from fellow sinners who fell in the same trap that I did called sin. So do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Oh, hey, Natalie, come here. You have an eyelash. It's about to get in there. Let me help you. It's a ridiculous scene that Jesus is painting. To have a log sticking out of your eye and go, oh my goodness, there's some dust. Hold on. Let me get it for you. No one would let that person come anywhere near them, right? call 911, go see someone, like, help yourself, man. It's, it's a preposterous statement, but this is what we do. We all have these logs in our own eyes, and yet we focus on the specks in our brothers and sisters. It is so easy to focus on someone else's speck and to just be completely blind to our own log. Let me ask you this question. Your brother or your sister has a speck in their eye. You have a log in yours. Whose situation do you actually have control over? Yours. End of story. That will always be the answer. You never have control in my life. I have the ability to stiff arm you and go, whatever, man, I'm going my own way. Or maybe to listen. You don't have control in my life and I don't have control in yours. The only person's life I actually have control in is my own. 
And Jesus goes, why are you worrying about the speck in your brother's eye when you've neglected the log in your own? The only person that you can like actually hands-on help is yourself. Why would you ignore that and go and worry about other people's? So let me ask you this. Why do we focus on the flaws of others and ignore our own? Honest answer, I don't know. Why do we focus on the flaws of others? We all do it. It's so natural to us. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to see. Like, maybe sometimes, like, I'm just actually blinded by it. I'm... Yeah. Okay. Like, this isn't even a log. I can't imagine, like, in the eye how painful that would be. I'd want to distract myself. I, I'd want to think about something else. And it's much easier to go, oh, yeah, but she did this, but he did that. Like, it's so much easier to focus out there. Yeah. I can justify it. Oh, well, it's okay because look at what they're doing. So what I'm, maybe what I'm doing isn't that bad. Greed? How so? Let's call it a log. Yeah. Yeah, and you want to focus on like better flaws to make yourself better. Yeah. To make yourself feel better. Again, if I'm if I ever measure myself against you in my own head, I will win. Because I'm I'm the king of it and I get to make the rules in my own head. And so we we Ooh, it is so much easier, like just actually easier to go, hey, you're doing this wrong, than it is to do the deep heart work of removing the log from my own eye. It is hard work. And so let's just be honest, it's easier to just point the finger at all of you. Sure. And so there's, there's two things at play here, because like what Kim was saying is sometimes you just don't have that, you don't even have the tools, the know-how to take the log out, which is absolutely true. And actually, we're going to talk about it here in a minute. But what Jesus says is he's talking about our natural tendency to, instead of even trying, just focus on yours. So there's two things at play here, because even if I go, okay, let's admit it, I've got a log, I still need to, like, figure out how to get the log out. So there's two different things at play. Go ahead. Sure. Sure. To admit that I have a log is also to admit that I need to change. And what as human beings do we really not like? Change. Okay? So there's, there's a fear aspect of it as well. I, I want to give us a tool. Oh, go ahead, Miss Kitty. Do you have your hand up? There's a really difficult conversation to have with yourself sometime to go, to look at some of the situations you've had problems and go, am I the common denominator? Every place I've ever been, everyone I've ever worked for is a jerk. Oh, wait. I'm the common denominator in all of those situations. Like, I'm, it's easy to just start firing arrows out there, but go, wait, is this a log situation? Like, that's, that's a hard conversation to have with yourself. So I want to give us a tool uh, that can help process this. Is anyone familiar? It's called the Jahari window. Anyone ever heard of it before? Okay, one. Jahari window, what this does is helps us understand how we perceive ourselves and how others perceive us. Okay, and I want to look at it uh, through the, the window <laughs> of flaws. Okay, so real quickly, explaining the Jahari window. You guys familiar with like a matrix or you remember like a graph in math class, the x-axis, the y-axis, that kind of thing? Okay, so this axis here, the further to the left you get, these are things that I'm aware of. All the way over here is flaws that I know fully. I, I know they exist, I'm not blind to them, I see them. But as you come over here, these are things that I'm blind to. Things that I don't even know are there. And as we go to the top here, 
This is things that you can see in me, things that you are aware of, and as we come down here to the bottom, things you can't see in me, things that are hidden from you. Does that make sense just as a general framework? Okay, so let's start walking through. It gives us four quadrants here, and I want to start looking at them. You didn't know you'd be doing math today. This is called a matrix. It's fun. Go to the next one for me, next slide. The first one up here, this is flaws that we all see in me. It's over here on the left, so they're flaws I'm aware of, and it's up here on the top. It's flaws that you can see in me. These are those like personality traits. Like for instance, it wouldn't take much time for you to spend with me to go, he seems pretty passionate, the kind of guy that would probably talk without thinking. I'll bet he has stuck his foot in his mouth, regretted words that he spoke almost before they were out of his mouth. And I would agree with you and go, you're right. I see that flaw too. That is a flaw that I see and you see. It's kind of out on the table. You almost couldn't hide it if you wanted to, kind of idea. We all have these kinds of flaws. Some of you may be more introverts and you, you run away from people and from situations. You avoid conflict and it doesn't take long spending time with you for all of us to go, I bet they struggle with conflict. And you would probably go, yep, it's a real struggle. Hopefully we're mature enough to go, I see it and I'm working on it but we're, they're, they're out there for everybody to see. You see it in me and I see it in myself. Go to the next one for me. Down here, these are the dangerous ones. I know that these flaws exist in me, but you don't. These are flaws that I keep hidden. These are flaws that I'm aware of, but I mask them. I hide them. I, I do some other things to maybe distract you and keep you looking over here, hoping that no one ever asks about these things. Jesus has been reprimanding the Pharisees all through the Sermon on the Mount because of these things. He goes, everyone, when they look at you, they go, wow, how generous are they? They're blowing trumpets to show literally treasure chests being poured out on the poor. How generous are they? And Jesus goes, but what's under the surface, what no one else sees is that you're actually just chasing the applause of men. You're chasing power. You're ch these are those deep hidden secrets. These are the ones that will easily kill and destroy. One of the super unfortunate phenomenons that we have now in the church today is church leaders just continually self-destructing left and right. It's all over the place, all across the country, I think all across the world. It's happening at really an alarming pace. And really what's going on is these flaws, these hidden sins, these, these covered up weaknesses are coming to the surface in really destructive ways. They couldn't be hidden anymore, they couldn't be covered up anymore, and they're coming to the surface and destroying lives, okay? So there's these flaws that we all see, you see them, I see them. These flaws that only I see and I keep intentionally hidden from everybody else. Go to the next one. Then there's my blind spots. The flaws that you see, but I don't. It doesn't take long spending time with me. You see these things, and I'm completely blind to them. Maybe it's just I've lived with them for so long, they're just normal, and I've never stopped to think about it. An example for this one, when we were living in Cleveland, Kim's smiling, she already knows where I'm going. We were living in Cleveland, uh, and we had this intern with us named Shirley. Um, and Shirley didn't like quiet time. Anytime things would get too quiet, she would just start asking questions and she's really personal. And so she started this game with all the teams that would come up and everyone. She would go, hey, if you could describe yourself in one word, what would it be? And so she would ask this to people or sometimes a team would sit and talk about somebody else and go, like with them, not like talk about them behind their back. But they would go, hey, if you could describe Tim in one word, what would it be? And everyone would take a guess, and then they'd have fun going, oh, man, you nailed it. And so one time, I got drawn in, and she said, hey, if you could describe yourself in one word, what would it be? I guarantee you it's not the word any of you were thinking that know me. I thought about it, and I said, chill. That's the response I got. Everyone just laughed. And they go, no, 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 really? And I was like... Oh, dang, like I was serious. Like, I was like, no, guy. I, I started defending it. Like, I'm, I'm chill. Like, I'm, the highs aren't too high. The lows aren't too low. I'm chill. I started getting angry. And I was like, I started yelling. I was like, guys, 
what don't you see? Like, I am so, and literally they stopped and they went, right now. And I said, oh, I see it. You mean right now how I'm red in the face and I'm getting louder and animated? You mean that's not chill? And they were like, no, it's the opposite of chill. But what I started to realize, it started as a joke, but then we started having some conversations and I started to realize the way other people see me, like I was having an impact on people that I wasn't aware of. I was intimidating to a lot of people. And I, I thought I was the easiest person in the world to get along with. The weight of my opinions could easily crush other people. But I was convinced, man, I'm so chill and easy to get along with. My passion was being seen as anger. And I started to realize, oh, they see something in me that I don't see in myself. That can be really, really dangerous. And so I started having conversations with them and learning and growing. It's been 10 years now. I'm no more chill than I was then, but I'm way more aware of how not chill I am now. Does that make sense? At least now I can be aware of it and try to counteract it. But they saw something that I was completely blind to for 30 plus years of my life. And through that one joking conversation, I was like, oh, okay, and I started to lean in. Go to the next one. We're not gonna spend a ton of time on this one. These are the flaws that no one sees. The flaws that I have in my life, you have in your life, that you're not aware of and neither are we. Because you haven't been tested in these areas yet. You haven't been in the fire where these impurities start to come to the surface yet. When they do, they're either gonna go into one of these, or they're gonna go into one of these three places. Because either you're gonna be the first to, to see it and you're gonna hide it. It's gonna come out in some way where everybody's aware of it or people are gonna to start to see something about you and notice something you don't notice about yourself. But for right now, there's not a whole lot we can do about those. So kind of putting that one off to the side. But so we all have these flaws. We all have these specks and logs in our own lives. Some of these are gonna be maybe some potential logs. Most of these are gonna be specks, some things that we can laugh about and joke about, and somebody come, can come up and go, hey, I don't think you know this about yourself, but these logs every single time. Because listen, if it wasn't a big thing, we wouldn't hide it, right? If it was just something we could laugh off, there would be no need to hide it, but we all have these things about ourselves, these flaws about ourselves, but we tend to focus on other people's. And we tend to focus on the specs. Why? So that we can prop up our logs. Because it's so much easier to keep the spotlight over there. Listen, as long as the spotlight is pointed at you, it's not coming back at me. As long as we're talking about what's wrong with you, nobody's talking about what's wrong with me. And so we, spoke, we focus on other specs so that we can avoid or prop up our own logs. Let me just really, really quickly. If you want to deal with the logs in your eyes, if you want to deal with what Jesus is talking about, move everything up and to the left. What are the things no one knows about me? The things that I would be embarrassed if others found out, the things that I would be ashamed of, who are some safe people I can bring those into the light with? Because as long as they're hidden, they're logs. They're holding me back, they're hurting me, they're keeping me from being who God has created me to be, they're keeping me from helping you with your specs. As long as they are hidden, they're deadly. And so, who are some safe people I can bring these out with? Who are some safe people that I can go, hey, you know me pretty well, maybe even in some areas better than I know myself. What am I missing? What do you see in me that maybe I don't see in myself? This is the starting place of how do we deal with those logs moving everything up and to the left, out into the light. Because here's the thing, if I'm actually gonna deal with my logs, I need your help. And if you're actually gonna deal with your logs, you need my help. I love that Jesus didn't say, how dare you even deal with anyone else's speck. But he says, you gotta deal with the log first so that you can help your brother or sister with their speck. If we're gonna actually deal with these things, everything has to come out into the light. As long as it's hidden, either by you or from you, it will never get dealt with and it will continue to hurt you and hurt your relationships. But when we take the bold step of bringing it out in front of others, safe people, I'm not saying you gotta come up here and just announce it to everybody, but some safe people 
who go, hey, I'm really struggling with these things. No one else knows, but I'm tired of hiding it. I want to deal with it. Hey, what are some things that other people see that I'm blind to? I want to know so that I can start to grow in those areas. This is what it looks like to begin to deal with the log. But I would rather far too often peek through your window and point out your specs than invite you in to help me work through my logs. Is this making sense, church? So back to what Jesus said, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your eye, you hypocrites. First take the log out of your eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Until I'm willing to bring things into the light and to deal with those logs, it is hypocrisy to, listen, to even try to walk with you through your specks. Jesus says this back over in Luke chapter 6, where he's teaching on this again to a different crowd. I'm going to read the part I already read, and then it keeps going. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Given it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? but not notice the log in your own eye. And then he goes on with the same teaching from Matthew 7. So he starts here with going like, when you're measuring yourself against other people, when you're not dealing with your own log, you are a blind guide at best. You are trying to lead people to a place you've never been. You can't lead people where you've never been. It's, it's both of us covering our eyes and just walking. For, we're going to hit a pit. Jesus says, this is what it's like when you refuse to deal with your log but you point out your brother's speck. Then he talks about this, this teacher and disciple thing. He says, listen, why are you teaching other people things you haven't learned yourself? It's foolishness. Because when he talks about teaching, he's not talking like nowadays when we think teaching, we think one person standing up here doing all the talking, disseminating information, and teaching is about like writing down quotes and learning information. In their day, teaching was apprenticeship. The disciples didn't just show up to class once a day to hear Professor Jesus teach. They walked with him everywhere. They saw his life. They looked at how he lived and interacted with people. They learned from being with him to become like him. And he says, you can't stand in this teaching role. Let me help you with that speck when you're not dealing with your log. It's hypocrisy and foolishness. You can't teach what you don't know. But once you have begun to walk with others and go, hey, will you help me with this log? Now I'm learning and I'm growing and I can go, hey, let me help you with that speck. Because I've learned, I've apprenticed from others and now I can share with you not just what I know but what, I, what I've lived. Does that make sense, church? I can't help you with your speck until I deal with my own log. We have to be the kind of people that deal with our own junk, listen, or are dealing with our own junk before we wade into someone else's. We can't lead them where we've never been. We can't teach them what we've never learned. So let me give a quick recap, because then Jesus kind of makes a hard left-hand turn that we're going to try to follow. Judging one another in our hearts is foolishness. Measuring you against me so that I come out on top is foolishness. It's, it's hypocrisy. We're all fellow sinners in need of God's grace. All we do is heap condemnation on ourselves when we judge. So instead, let's deal with our own logs so that we can love and help our brothers and sisters instead of standing in judgment over them. With me? Okay. Then Jesus starts talking about dogs and pigs, and it gets weird for a sec. Directly following that, he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What? Okay, we were with you for logs and specks, Jesus. It was a weird one, but we followed. Now, pigs and dogs? Where did pearls come from? Like, what is happening? Listen, the pearls would have been understand, would have been, excuse me, understood to be wisdom. Wisdom in the Jewish culture, if you go back to the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, wisdom is continuously compared to gold, silver, precious jewels. It was always seen as some of the most precious things out there. And, and even today, we have the term, a pearl of wisdom. You've heard that, right? 
that comes from this, they would have understood that to be wisdom. Jesus is saying, don't take your, your wisdom and throw it before the dogs, throw it before the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus is going, look, as you deal with the logs in your own eyes, you will grow wiser. You will gain experience, and all of a sudden, you will have wisdom to be able to offer other people, but be discerning in how and who you offer that wisdom to. I meant to share this earlier, Proverbs 8.10, just talking about wisdom. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. They, they would have clearly understood the pearls to be wisdom from that. But listen, there, there are places and people where your wisdom, as valuable as it is, is not welcome. Jesus was telling them, be discerning in who you give this wisdom to, because to just throw it out to anyone and everyone, that's the fast lane to heartbreak. You're going to get hurt. Walking with others takes discernment. This is a fun one. I made a tongue twister. You guys want to try it with me? It's actually not that hard. It's no Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle peppers. <laughs> I'm kind of proud of that. <laughs> okay. Just because I see a speck doesn't mean I'm supposed to speak about the speck. Try it with me. Come on. Just because I see a speck doesn't mean I'm supposed to speak about that speck. Okay? I want to make you guys say it five times fast, but here's another way I see it. Every speck you see isn't your speck to speak about. You have some fun with this, right? We can keep going. I actually had some others, but I had to cut them. But every speck you see isn't your speck to speak about. Just because I see something in your life doesn't mean I'm called to speak about that thing in your life. And this is a hard one for us. Christians have got a really bad name because we've seen ourselves as everyone else's policemen. And so we're there to tell them this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, this is wise, this is dumb, whether they're asking for it or not. And then we wonder, why is persecution coming? Jesus is going, no, you got bit by a pig. I warned you. Like, be discerning in how you share your wisdom. Your hard-earned wisdom by dealing with your own logs, by you actually have truly valuable pearls to offer, but don't just scatter them out there to everyone. You're going to get bit. We need to be discerning as we walk with people. Just because I see a speck doesn't mean I'm supposed to speak about that speck. Every speck you see isn't your speck to speak about. In Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, says this, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. But here's the beautiful part. I want to be wise. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. There are people that when you come and you share your wisdom, you share your challenge. You share your, hey, remember what Jesus said, this is sin, this is wrong. There are those that will thank you and there are those that will curse you. It, it's been that way. Solomon wrote this 3,500 years ago. And it's been that way ever since. And Jesus is just echoing that same thought. So here's the question. How do we discern when to share wisdom and when not to? The first step, I would say, is listen, if you haven't dealt with the log, just keep it to yourself. That, that's just, Jesus was very clear in that. It's hypocrisy to do anything else. But let's say you're that person who is dealing with your own junk, who, who is seeking, you're bringing other people in and you're going, what, what am I missing here Hey, I got to share this with you. No one knows this, and so I, I, I got to bring it out into the light with you. You're doing the hard work. You're becoming wise. You're becoming experienced. How do you know who to share that wisdom with? So there's a couple just kind of very basic questions that I want to give you. This isn't an exhaustive list, but maybe this helps give a starting point. When you, when you see the speck, when you notice the thing in that person's life, here's some questions to run through. Is the Lord leading me to bring up this speck. Just in the, in the quietness of your own heart, just going, Lord, is this what I'm supposed to speak about? And he'll lead you. 
He'll guide you. Listen, though, here, pay attention to your heart. If when you ask this question, what you get is, yeah, those idiots. We got to stop them. We got to show them. Somebody's got to set them straight. That ain't the Lord. But if it comes from a place of, I, I really feel like strongly I'm supposed to say something, but it's coming from a place of love, this is killing them. I want better for them. I, I can help them grow through this. There's a chance that's from the Lord. Okay, sometimes we, we have savior complexes and we just think we've got to save everybody. We'll have to get to the bottom of that another day. But is it coming from a place of love or a place of condemnation? That's an easy one. But Lord, are you leading me to speak about this speck? I can't help doing the tongue twister thing. It wasn't even written there, and I've got to just do it still. Is this person asking for my thoughts or advice? Sometimes somebody just comes in and like, let's be real. Okay, hey men, you know how we get in trouble all the time for trying to fix things when all they want us to do is listen? Here's the underlying problem. They're not asking for help. And it's always a problem when we come giving advice when no one's asking for it. Again, the church has gotten ourselves into trouble with this a lot over time, but, but each of us. To stop and go, hey, are they asking for my thoughts or advice? Because listen, if they're just angry, probably not the right time. They're just yelling and they're, they're just venting. Listen, that could even be the speck, the fact that they just vent and whatever, but this probably ain't the time because they don't seem to be asking for advice. They're not looking for help. They're just emoting all over me, whatever that might be. Is the person asking for thoughts and advice? Is the person in a place to listen and receive help? There's a, a saying that I might have made up, but I stole the idea from somewhere. When someone is speaking emotion, they can't hear logic. When someone is just coming and I'm just so hurt and I'm just so mad and I'm just so, and again, I'm going to speak to men, not because women can't be culprits of this, but because most men are regularly, we go, well, what you should have done was this. And they're going, how dare you bring logic into this? No one was asking, why did this happen? I'm just mad that it did. Or These kinds of things like, are they in a place where they can actually hear advice it may be great advice to give, but oftentimes, sometimes we just need to sit with the person first and just go, yeah, that's really frustrating. That's really hard. Man, I've never been through something like that. That's really difficult. And that hopefully will lead us to a place where they're, they can hear, where they can receive. But sometimes it's a matter of timing. We come in hot and heavy with that wisdom and advice, and they're just in, like, shutdown mode. And, yeah, it doesn't go good. You're going to get bit. Fourth question, do I have the relationship with this person to sustain this conversation? One thing I will, I will very rarely, if ever, do is give advice to strangers. Again, if somebody comes up and asks me a question, I'll answer it. But I talk to people pretty regularly who just start to unload life's junk and going, I don't know this person from Adam. I'm probably not the one, or this probably isn't the time for me to start fixing their problems. Right now, they just need somebody to listen. We don't have the relationship to sustain me challenging them or questioning motives. And, and I don't mean questioning motives in a bad way, but going, hey, what was going on in your heart when that was happening? If I don't know you, that's an out-of-bounds question. Nine times out of ten. The Lord speaks up and says, go share with them anyway. Hey, go do it. But in those times, I'm also prepared to get bit back. That's just the reality of it. Do I have the relationship with this person? to sustain this conversation. Do you guys understand what we're talking about here? Okay. So as you deal with your own logs, the Lord will use you to help your brothers and sisters with their specs, but it will no longer be from a judgmental place. It will be with a posture of compassion and mercy because you recognize that God has been gracious towards you and now he desires to pour out his kindness on them through you. Because remember what Paul said? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that, that moves us from that guarded position into that place of surrender where we can find healing. It's not our judgment, but it's his kindness lived out through us in the lives of other people. When our wisdom comes through mercy 
and compassion, comes through love and brokenness on their behalf, now we have the opportunity to actually remove some specks and to get some people moving where they need to go. It will never happen through our judgment. He desires to show his kindness to others through us. I'm going to ask the music team to come up as I close with this last passage. I find hope in this passage. Paul, again, in, in Romans 14, he says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master's servants stand or fall. Listen, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. He starts, again, he just keeps kind of hitting that, stop judging each other, stop judging each other. Who are you to judge? Because the other person, they're not even your servant. They're God's. Don't judge someone else's servant. It's just a bad way to be. But then he goes on to say something that just fills me with so much hope. To their own master, the servant stands or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Listen, this isn't going, they'll stand. No one's going to have any problems. It'll be fine. But what he's telling them is, look, everything they need to stand is available through the Lord. He will continue to call them back. And if they're really his servants, if they're really with him, he will make them stand. Everything they need to stand is found in the Lord. They don't need your judgment. They're not yours to judge. What they need is your encouragement and your hope. They need for you to point them back to the Lord who is able to make them stand despite of the flaws and the mistakes and the weariness. And so how do we come alongside one another and point back to the Lord? Forget condemnation, forget judgment. It's not even useful, let alone productive. How do I just encourage you back to the Lord? Because he has everything you need to stand. He has everything I need to stand. How do we walk with each other in this? Let's work on our own logs and practice grace and mercy towards other specks because we're hoping they do the same thing back to us. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you have everything we need to stand. You don't even judge us. We're yours you have every right to judge us, yet it says that you come with patience and grace and mercy towards us. That instead of judging us, you came and died for us so that we could escape judgment. May we withhold judging one another. May we instead take the grace and mercy, the compassion that we have received and freely give it to everyone that we come in contact with. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment. Help us to know the difference between right and wrong, good and bad, even good and great. Help us to know when is the time to speak and when is the time to be silent. In the end, God, may others see your kindness to them through us and may they be drawn to repentance, drawn to life because of the kindness of our God. May you just keep this in front of us continually, Lord Jesus. We are so naturally drawn to measuring and judgment. May we continue to remember the mercies of the Lord and may that spur us on to extend grace and mercy. May the world see and be drawn in, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.